And welcome into this is the fifth edition, fifth, ep- yep, fifth, fifth episode. episode of the DuckTerritory.com podcast with Matt Prem and Eric Scopel across the way. Hey, guys. Um, we are doing our third version where we Facebook living at the same time. So if you're listening right now on Facebook Live and you want to be able to drop a question in into the podcast, go ahead and drop it. Eric's watching that to make sure that we've got uh, questions uh, for you to guys to be inter- engaged in this podcast. Um, and if you're not on Facebook Live and you want to be, all you got to do in future uh, episodes, we typically are going to record them on Mondays, uh, probably after after games as well. Um, yeah. Maybe, again, maybe earlier later on in the week. We don't know yet. Yep. But if you want to be engaged and active in future podcasts, all you got to go to is uh, facebook.com slash Oregon 247. Like our page, you'll get notifications of when we go live, like we're doing currently today, Monday afternoon. Um, and, and then you can just jump right in. So, lots to get, to get to, uh, for this podcast, especially game week. Right. We're, we're looking at Southern Utah. Um, we are also looking and breaking down depth charts. We've received Oregon's opening day depth chart for the 2017 season. There's some, Things we were expecting. There were some minor surprises, uh, and there were also some some big surprises uh, from this depth chart. I, I think three true freshmen listed as starters. Yes. Twelve true freshmen listed within the two deep. Thirteen. A thirteenth player is a newcomer in George Moore, also making the list. Um, and then you've, you've got big names from seasons past of a guy like Tyree Robinson or a Taj Griffin who are not on the depth chart. Um, and it sounds like there's a good reason. For there's that. a good reason for that, uh, for why they are not on the on the depth chart for the 2017 Week One depth chart against Southern Utah. Yeah. Uh, but first, let's let's kind of dive right into this uh, depth chart for 2018 uh, or 2017. At receiver, you've got the start. So we'll run through the starters for offense. The 11 starters. You're starting Dylan Mitchell and Charles Nelson, and then one of the surprises, Johnny Johnson, a true freshman. At the receiver spots, your offensive line from from left to right goes Tyrell Crosby at left tackle, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Jake Pisarczyk, Calvin Throckmorton at right tackle. Your uh, starting tight end is Jacob Breland, if you're an Oregon fan, and then at quarterback, Justin Herbert, we all expected that, and also at running back, Royce Freeman, we also expected that. Um, I, I think from the starter standpoint, it's interesting, Johnny Johnson, it's yeah. a bit of a surprise that Johnny Johnson, Oregon's lowest-rated recruit for the 2017 class, is starting as a true freshman for the University of Oregon. I, I would say that might be the only surprise on the, on the offensive depth chart there in terms of the starters, because I, I think you, you had a pretty good idea who was starting on the offensive line, although Jake Basarczyk is a guy who hasn't started much in the past. Um, but you knew, you knew Jacob Breland, you knew Justin Herbert, you knew Norris Freeman. You had a right. good feeling that Dylan Mitchell would be playing one of the receiver positions and obviously Charles Nelson in the slot. But we weren't exactly sure who was going to fill that other receiver spot. And frankly, I don't think up until last week we really considered Johnny Johnson to be a strong contender to right. do that. And the fact that he's there over some guys that are veterans, albeit not a lot of experience, guys like Brennan Schooler and Alex Ophidile and Malik Lovett, is, is frankly a little bit surprising. Obviously... You're encouraged that there's a true freshman receiver who, who maybe you can build around down the line. Um, the thing that Taggart said kind of separated him from the rest of the guys was his ability to make the tough catch. Yeah. And if you're an Oregon fan, you like hearing that because that has been something that hasn't maybe necessarily been a strength of, of this football team in years past. You know, you read Rob Mosley's practice reports for GoDucks.com, the school's official in-house team reporter. Uh, you watch what we were able to see 
at practice every day. We went to every single practice of fall camp. Both of you, uh, both of us were there the entire fall camp period. Yeah. Um, you, you listen to what players talk about. It really seemed like, like you said, the last week, all of a sudden, maybe the light clicked mm-hmm. for Johnny Johnson. And you mentioned you wrote about this multiple times, Eric, um, on the site yeah. prior to fall camp that you felt like from a physical standpoint, he was maybe one of the more ready-made receivers on this team. It's just, was he going to be good enough? Right. I mean, and if you just look at the, the height and weights that have listed out here for the true freshman, he's six foot two oh five. That is the heaviest wide receiver on the roster besides Alex Ophidia, who's also listed at 205. The other true freshman receiver, Daywood Davis, is listed at 173 pounds. Johnny Johnson came in physically more mature and ready to play, and so it was a matter of whether or not he had the intangibles in terms of the route running, the, the catching, all that stuff. Clearly, he's shown he has it, and I think, you know, one thing we, we, we don't expect is that this depth chart at receiver to stay the same all fall camp. Yeah, all, absolutely. All there are nine guys listed on here for three spots. There are, there are, every position has an aura, which basically <laughs> means that there's, these battles are extremely close. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if this changes almost weekly in terms of who the starters are, what the order is. I don't expect this to be just like, put it in stone, this is what it is. I think this is very much penciled in, and it'll be interesting to see if this even reflects how the reps are going to be during the game. Is Johnny Johnson really going to get first-team reps? Right. Needless to say, clearly they feel like he's a guy who's risen to the top. And again, I think those physical intangibles, the big, strong, sturdy receiver kind of distanced himself from some of these other guys. So on the outside, you've got Dylan Mitchell starting, and then his two backups uh, are Malik Lovett, a sophomore who played cornerback last season, started two games for the Ducks on defense, shifted over in the spring over to the offensive side of the football. And then Alex O'Fadelli is the other one. He he uh, was hurt most of 2016. He redshirted in 2015. Um, and now as a sophomore, he's Oregon's uh, one of Oregon's taller receivers. He's, he has one career catch in his record in, <laughs> under his name for right. his time at Oregon. Um, both those, Ofadelli and Levitt, were two guys, I think, going into fall camp. You probably were expecting those are more than likely one of those guys is yeah. going to start. Now neither of them are, are starting. Uh, at, at the slot position, you've got Charles Nelson. We all knew what Nelson was going to do. 92 career receptions for him uh, in his three-year career to date, going into his fourth season at Oregon. That's his, like 92 out of 95 for the receivers <laughs> on the roster right now. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he has far and away the most uh, receptions of anyone else on roster for Oregon. And, uh, and, and now actually moving forward from, you know, you look at Mitchell, the Mitchell, the spot Mitchell is starting at and his two backups – and then you, you look at Charles Nelson. Every other guy behind that we're about to list has never played receiver or yeah. has never played a game at Oregon for, two, for for going into week one of the 2017 season because behind Charles Nelson, you've got two freshmen, Darian McNeil, a 5'9 receiver out of Florida who, who showed up to Oregon in spring camp, really turned some heads there. Uh, I think kind of that spring camp probably helped him be ready day one for fall camp to earn the playing time. Uh, he's he's now projected to have as as Charles Nelson's primary backup, and then he's also competing against uh, Jalen Red, another freshman, five eight receiver out of Rancho Cucamonga High School uh, in, in Southern California. He was a guy that was signed as a defensive back. You kind of expected him to play defense. He quickly shifted over. That wasn't the case. Oregon listed him as a receiver when he signed, and he's quickly made his, his impact here. Uh, and at the other receiver spot on the outside, you've got Johnny Johnson, which we mentioned, the true freshman. And backing him up is Brendan Schooler, a uh, defensive player who started 10 games for the Ducks last season as a true freshman. 
He's now playing receiver for Oregon, and he's sharing the backup duties with another true freshman, David Davis, mm-hmm. uh, a, a guy that you've mentioned is very, very athletic, very fast, uh, but his size is probably not even close to where Oregon would like their receivers at. And that's something I touched on uh, in, in the Daily Dose, uh, Matt, Matt Bream's Daily Dose, on, you know, what goes up live every morning. Um, if you go and you look at USF's roster, South Florida, where Taggart came yeah. from, and you have to understand, yeah, different coaches. Taggart's not coaching at South Florida, but they're gonna, so they're gonna do things differently there now from a, a schematic play-wise situation. But just the way that team is made up, you can get a good feel for where Oregon wants to be in a couple years because Oregon didn't buy the 2014 Willie really Taggart USF version of football. They bought, or they went and hired Taggart because they thought they can become what USF is from a physical standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, like they are this year. And USF's receivers are all six foot three or taller. Oregon's has one guy on roster that's six foot three. <laughs> that gives you a clear indication of where this team needs to go in terms of recruiting, and it's it's shown that way in who's committed and, right. and who's who's being targeted. So, you know, this receiving core inexperienced. Undersized, a lot of question marks going into the 2017 season. No doubt. Uh, let's take a couple questions here from Facebook Live. A number of people asking about where Brady Breeze, Taj, Gif- Josh Griffin, and Tyree Robinson are. Um, they are healing. Yes. According to Willie Taggart. Um, he, a long he, pause. Very, yeah, very. Uh, Matt asked him a question about why they weren't on there, and very long pause followed by they are healing. So uh, the expectation here is that they will miss uh, week one. This is not performance based. This is health related. Um, other guys not on there. Obviously, Scott Pagano, Malik Young are two names that that probably will be on there eventually, but not this week because of various reasons. But th- those guys are not missing time because they're not good enough. They're missing time because they're they're healing up probably for week two against Nebraska. And that was something I think we kind of had a, an inkling of um, the last week of fall camp because you look at the guys that were in the non-participation when they were doing 11 on 11 or some type of team drill right. um, or, or set, you know 11 on air type drills. Um, you look at the rehab group, the guys that are doing the rehab work and practice, and you constantly saw Tyree Robinson. You constantly saw Brady Breeze. You constantly saw Scott Pagano. Taj Griffin, Taj Griffin yeah, sure. was in that group. Alex O'Fadelli was in and out of that group. Juwan Williams was in and out of that group. You know, there was a long you – know, Jordan Scott at one point, Austin Fiala at one point. Yeah. Uh, Elijah George at one point were, you know, guys that were participating in that rehab session for the last 10 days of, of fall camp for yeah. Oregon. Um, so that doesn't surprise me that there's a couple guys that didn't make this list that you would typically expect to see uh, because – they, you know, Southern Utah, Oregon's never going to overlook an opponent, or at least you would hope they wouldn't. Right. But if you can get by without playing a guy like Tosh Griffin or or a guy like Scott, uh, Tyree Robinson or Brady Breeze and still walk away with a going-away victory, you should be okay. You can rest these guys, give them an extra week of, of healing, as Willie Taggart described it, so that they're ready for your big marquee games, which are coming up in two weeks, Nebraska on the 9th, and then also you've got – uh, Wyoming, mm-hmm. uh, the, the weekend after that. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I think you're, you're setting up here, um, to hopefully play the long play here. You're not, you're not hoping, you, you don't think Southern Utah is necessarily going to be able to beat you. So you're, you're, you're willing to maybe take a week, let some young guys get some reps, 
and kind of waited out a little bit here. I think that's kind of indicative on the on the depth chart this week. Not not really any big surprises. I think um, with the offensive line, you, you look at the starters, and it's you know four starters back from last season. You add Tyrell Crosby, who started two year two straight years, uh, 2014 and 2015, and missed most of last year with an injury. Um, but it's the guys behind. The starters I was you know, really most curious about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, left tackle, you, you have George Moore, the number one junior college transfer offensive lineman and for 2017. He's made the two deep as the backup to Tyrell Crosby. And it's an ever-changing, is he, what year is George Moore? Yeah. Because it started off as a, listed as a sophomore, and then it, it morphed, I noticed, through the middle of fall camp to being a junior. He's now being this back is, to being listed a as a sophomore. Yeah. Uh, for the 2017 season. So, you know, we're going to have to get some more clarification on that, but he's the backup behind Tyrell Crosby. Evan Bowler, a senior, and ironically, I didn't know this until you pointed it out to me uh, last yeah. week, Oregon's highest-rated re- offensive line recruit. The only four-star offensive line recruit currently on the roster is actually Evan Bowler, who now is a senior, still hasn't managed to make his way into the starting lineup. He's the left guard behind uh, Shane Lemieux, and then your backup center position, which was the kind of one of the few spots where there were some question marks. Do they start a true freshman? Do they list a guy twice? Um, Doug Brenner, the senior, he started a couple games. He's played in 33 games for his Oregon career. Uh, he is the, the backup to Jake Hansen. Yeah. And then at right guard, you've got a redshirt freshman, Jacob Capra. And at right tackle, you've got last season starting left tackle, Brady Alio, as the, as the backup. So no, no real big surprises there. And I, I think just back to Brenner really quick. I, I think the, I think the fact that None of the younger guys in the roster have really played center in high school even. Yeah. You probably don't. You want more than just four weeks of fall camp before you have them ready. Brenner's, you know, an Oregon fan's probably not their favorite player given what transpired in the Alamo Bowl a couple years ago. Which is fair, which is not unfair, or which which is unfair to Doug Brenner because he was put in a very bad situation. Right, but either way, he has collegiate snapping experience. He's done it before. You'd probably prefer, you know, in the... Hopefully it never takes place, but if Jake Hansen is not able to go, you feel a little bit better about having a guy that at least has some a little bit of experience rather than a guy who hasn't even played. I mean, look, look at it from this standpoint. You know, you you could tell yourself as a coach at Oregon, we're probably going to have three to maybe five games, maybe six, where the game is over going into the fourth quarter. Southern Utah is one of them. Arizona, Cal are, are three games that you 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 would hope. Going into the fourth quarter, if you're Oregon, that game is over. You're in control. It might happen against Stanford on the other end. Or Washington. Or Washington on the other end. Um, so you've got about three to six games. There might be one more in there that is a surprise. But you've got about three games where you're, you feel like, yeah, fourth quarter, game's over. Get the, get the second string, third string guys in. Is it really worth playing? An Alex Forsyth or a Cody Shear, three three quarters uh, of game action, yeah, and then not really using them the rest of the year. Or would you rather use a Doug Brenner in that situation when you know, yeah, he's going to play, he can help you at guard. Let's get you know, let's just get let's use Doug Brenner as the backup center for six quarters, yeah, and preserve on a whole entire year of development for Forsyth or, or Shear. I think that. Perspective is only amplified because Jake Hansen, you have to remember, is only a sophomore. Right. And you want to spread those classes out because if you think, say, Alex Forsyth is the center of the future, 
if he's only one year behind Jake Hansen, so you only like, get him for one year. You get one year as a starter. So if you can spread him out, redshirt him down, he's got two years down the line and, you know, three years when Jake Hansen graduates to be the starter. The question then becomes what happens, like you said, you know, hopefully for Oregon's sake, Hansen doesn't get hurt. Yeah. But what happens if he does? Right. Does, then, they're, then they're forced into a tough situation. Because it, it could be... If it's one game situation, you can see Doug Brenner man the center spot for one game. But if it's a multiple game situation, then it becomes interesting to see what Oregon chooses to do uh, for the 2017 spot at the offensive line. Let's go to Facebook really quick. Here we got a couple questions from Michael Spence. First, he asks about uh, Bruce Judson, as does Moneybag Jay. Um, this is something we've talked about. A He's, little not bit. He's not on the roster. He's not on the roster. Spence asked if it was academic related. It is. Um, we do not believe he will be here this season. Whether or not he's here next year or down the line remains to be seen. He's got some academic things he needs to show up. Uh, Michael Spence also asks, will Keith Sims be a factor? It's another guy who's been injured basically all fall. Yeah. You know, uh, Matt ran down the list of guys, you know, that, that have been kind of partial participants. And Sims has definitely been one. I think almost every single practice I've yeah. seen him over there. So, um, how extensive is the injury? We, we're not 100% sure, but I, I would probably say there's a good chance he, he doesn't play a big factor this year. One thing we forgot to, to go into is the tight end position. Mm-hmm. Um, the starter, everyone expected a Jake Breland sophomore. Um, but behind him, maybe it's – who knows how they figure out who is listed as the second guy and then who's listed after the or. Uh, but they've got walk-on – Tight end Ryan Bay, a sophomore out of Tigert, played in two games last year for the Ducks in 2016. And then Cameron, Cameron McCormick, a redshirt freshman mm-hmm. scholarship player, uh, as the two backups for, for Oregon behind Bruland. We kind of anticipated, look, those were going to be the three guys yeah. most likely to make the 2D for Oregon for 2017. Was it going to be Breland, Bay, McCormick, or was it going to be Breland, McCormick, Bay, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. No. But those are the, those are the three guys at that it, tight end it, position. It's worth mentioning there the or thing. You know, we I think set the line at about ten and a half ors on the yeah. opening depth chart, and there are twelve I counted. Um, it's clear there's still a lot of competition going, and, and obviously that's exactly what Willie Taggart and company wanted. You know, they're trying to promote that you know competition all the time mentality, and by keeping you know maybe a couple of these guys on here as an or, it, it only you know continues to do that. Absolutely. Uh, shifting over to the defensive side of the football, this is where it gets really interesting for mm-hmm. me. This yeah. is where there were a lot of surprises. There was a lot of uncertainty. There's still a lot of unanswered questions uh, about this 2017 team on all the depth chart. Henry Mondu is your starting defensive end. You've got an or for your starter at nose guard, and it's two true freshmen. It's Jordan Scott, I think a guy everyone kind of penciled in. As the starter going into 2017. Well, and Willie Taggart said as much at media day, called yeah. the starter. Uh, but now Austin Fialo, another true freshman defensive lineman, uh, three star out of Santa, uh, Matter Day High School in, in, in SoCal. He has pushed his way into sharing that starting role with Jordan Scott. We don't know if it's Scott or if it's going to be Fialo that starts. That's an or. And that could be, you know, I think that's a, a storyline that has gone a little bit under the radar a little yeah. bit. Be- most because we don't get to watch a lot of the team 11-on-11 action in practice. Um, but everything we've heard, everything that's, that we've reported, is that Folio is really good. Mm-hmm. Taggart said that as much mm-hmm. on Monday at his press conference and that it looks like now, I mean, it's, it's shown in the depth chart, he's fighting for a starting job over Jordan Scott. Yeah, and I, I think... 
once again, you know, the, the guys that are, are listed here prominently on the depth chart as true freshmen are not guys we expected to be here. Probably. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Johnny Johnson, I think lowest rate recruit in the class, Jordan Scott, Darian McNeil, and Austin Fiala are all three-star that were kind of mid to low three-stars. Um, and they're all going to have an opportunity to play major, major roles for Oregon this year. And the fact that you have two nose tackles that are true freshmen that look to be three, four-year starters here at Oregon, you have to be extremely encouraged by that. You also have to wonder, what does that say about Gary Good Baker? Yeah. Uh, how does Scott Pagano coming back change that? Did they, does he end up fitting in at nose tackle in certain situations? There are obviously some questions here. Malik Young's another guy. But you have to be encouraged by the fact that you've got two true freshmen there in the middle there that will hopefully help make this defense a little more stout. Junior J- uh, defensive lineman Jalen Jelks is the other starting defensive end. Uh, outside linebacker, Oregon is starting Justin Hollins. Uh, the two inside spat- spots, you've got Troy Dye, and then you've got a- another or situation, Koalana Apalu, a junior that was a walk-on going into fall camp, enters the 2017 season now on scholarship, and he's being he's fighting out with uh, A.J. Hodgkins yep. for that other starting job of senior. Uh, then you've got Fotu Liatu or Lamar Winston uh, for the duck position, and that's something that was most surprising for us. Well, I, 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 yeah, that was a big surprise to me that they didn't include two outside linebackers there on the depth chart. You know, I, I expected to see John, Jonah Moy and Justin Hollins listed as starters here. Instead, they've got the duck position, which we were not under. This is a last coach Levitt, maybe even Coach Taggart down the line here. Is is are they going to play the duck as their base defense? We were under the impression that was not the case. That right. They were going to play two traditional outside linebackers as their base, and that this was going to be mostly a, a, a pass pa- pass defensive package. Um, as as it stands right now, it looks like they will start one of those two kind of smaller hybrid safety linebackers in um, Liatu or Winston. They're listed as an or. Um, that to me was surprising, and it'll be interesting to see you know how much how much we see of that this weekend. That'll certainly be something we'll keep an eye on. And then at cornerback, you've got another or situation. You've got Thomas Graham, our true freshman, who was here in spring ball, and within two days was with working with the first team. Yeah, he's battling still with a uh, uh, Ugat. Ugo Chaku Amadi. I just call him Ugo still. I'm not, I'm not gonna call I wanna him. Give, I wanna give him respect <laughs> to the name he wants to be called. I, I apologize. I haven't mastered it down yet. Uh, but you've got Amadi, a junior, uh, and Thomas Graham, a, a, a freshman battling out for one spot. And then your safeties are, that, that will start for week one, at least according to the depth chart, is Khalil Oliver and Matro McGraw, both juniors. McGraw is the interesting one. Yeah, well, McGraw's a guy that, that came in here. Actually, I think he's their third highest rated safety recruit. I was just looking at the rankings out of high school. And he's a guy that I think has played, what, three or four games, hasn't started before, played very little meaningful snaps. Yeah, he has four career games. Four so career games. He played two last year in Nebraska and Washington and two the year before that. So this is a guy basically hasn't played college football. And he's listed here as a starter. I wouldn't be overly concerned going against Southern Utah. One of the things we have touched on already is that two guys that we think will either start or play a ton of minutes at safety this year, and Brady Breeze and, and um, Tyree Robinson are currently healing. They're banged up a little bit. So Michelle McGraw's being listed there. Surprising? Do we think it's going to last? Probably not. And then the last starter at cornerback is a guy we all kind of penciled in at yeah. corners, uh, Arion Springs, the senior. Um, shifting back to the second team, this is a group that, again, like the offense, had a lot of tangibles, had a lot of moving parts, a lot of fluid situations, if you will, yeah. uh, with this group. Um, Elijah George is a defensive end backup. You've got Drayton Kahlberg as another defensive end backup. No real surprises there. Um, Gary Baker not making this list. 
probably probably the biggest surprise in terms of the defensive line depth chart would right. be that Gary Baker's not at least listed on here. I do think he'll play quite a bit. Um, no Malik Young, no, no Malik, Scott Pagano. Yep, yeah, and, th- and those aren't that big a surprises. Young's been here less than a week, and Pagano hasn't, you know, he's still kind of in and out of a boot, and his health will be something we'll have to kind of watch throughout. And Taggart has been very non-committal about when he might be able to play. Linebackers for the second team on the outside, you've got Jonah Moy, a senior guy that you know has bounced around from outside linebacker to defensive end, now back to outside linebacker uh, for Oregon in his three years at Oregon. Um, you've also got Jimmy Swain backing up Troy Dye, and then you know, we don't know who's starting and who's not, but you've got April, uh, you've got Epelu and, and Hodgkins. Uh, one of those two will be the backup inside linebacker, uh, and then. Same thing with Liatu and Winston for the duck position. But then your, your, your secondary is where there were a lot of question yeah. marks, a lot of big surprises. You, you've got Jawan Williams backing up Khalil Oliver. And then the other safety spot, you've got Nick Pickett, Billy Gibson, two more true freshmen on, on the depth chart. And then backing up Arian Springs at cornerback, Diamade Lenore, another true freshman, U.S. Army All-American. Highest I, rated prep recruit. Yep, highest rated recruit. Oregon signed for the class of 2017. And he's also fat, uh, fighting off Ty Griffin, a senior, one-time uh, quarterback at, at or George Tech, one-time quarterback at Oregon, turned, uh, I think he even played receiver at one point. He was, he, yeah, he moved around a little bit earlier. And on. then has, has kind of settled himself in at cornerback. Uh, and that kind of rounds out your 2017 day one uh, depth chart for 2000, Southern Utah game. <laughs> um, I, I think looking at the secondary, it's... Do, how do you how do you take the fact that there are so many ors? Do you, is that because there's still a lot of good competition, or is that because they're not confident enough at a couple of spots? I would look at it as almost maybe both. Right. I think there's some depth concerns along the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, in normal years, a guy like Jordan Scott and Austin Fiala both wouldn't play. Uh, in normal Oregon seasons, they would have some kind of established depth chart or depth at, at that position where maybe only one of them has to play and you can have the, the, the luxury of redshirting one, yeah. if not both. Um, but instead, they're having to both start. Now, I think they're also a little bit better than anticipated when they signed in 2017 for the, for this, when they signed in February as part of the 2017 recruiting class. Um, yeah, I, I, I think at corner, it's probably good that you've got a couple of true, uh, safety, you've got a couple of true freshmen in Pickett and, um, uh, Billy Gibson mm-hmm. kind of pushing their way into a position there's a lot of veteran experience and they're forcing their way to play. I think that's a good thing. I would have, you know, even when I think I wrote my my store projecting who might redshirt, I would have expected one of those guys would probably redshirt. Um, the fact that both are on the two deep week one indicates that they won't redshirt. One would assume, I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe there's a weird scenario where they, they don't both play, but I, I assume now that they're both gonna play, I think that's interesting. It, um, especially given the fact that they bring in two very highly regarded four-star safety recruits in Javon Holland and Steve Stevens next class. It's clear that safety is gonna continue to be a position where there's a lot of position, there's a lot of competition, a lot of good, um, high-quality players. That outside linebacker, Spot. I, I am interested to see if Jonah Moy being the second outside linebacker behind um, Justin Hollins indicates that when they do go with four traditional linebackers, if that's who the guy will be or if it'll be some combination of two guys we see on here, Bryson Young and Gus Cumberlander. Moving over to the special teams, 
no real big surprises here. Um, Aiden Schneider is, is your kicker. He's one of the better kickers in the, in the entire country for field goals and, and, and PATs. Uh, his backup is true freshman Adam Stack. And then Schneider is also handling kick up, kick off duties. And his backup there is also Adam Stack, uh, the, a, a true freshman U.S. Army All-American. Um, curious to see if they play Stack. Uh, but he's, he's listed as backup at three positions, as yeah. you're about to re- reveal. Uh, punter is sophomore Blake Maimon, and then his backup again is Adam Stack. So it seems like Stack is very versatile. I bet you he plays. I think he's going to play because I don't think you list him. Because we have to remember there's also two other there's other players at these positions. Yeah. There's Zach Emerson, who's been taking place kicking and kickoff duties as well. And then there's Alec Hallman, who's another true freshman walk-on punter. So... I think he's going to play because I don't think you list him on there with the intention of not playing him. It will be interesting to see if he, how much he actually does play if he's a backup at those three spots. Taylor Alley is still your holder. Tanner Carew is still uh, your long snapper. Both of those guys have held that position since their freshman years yeah. uh, of 2014. So those guys... Well established in what they do, you no concerns there. That's going to be a, a storyline next fall is replacing those four year starters. And then uh, your kickoff return guys, I thought this was interesting. Charles Nelson mm-hmm. is listed as one of them. That's not surprising. Kniven Waugh is the other. Oh God, that's interesting. I didn't think of him as a burner, but there he is. That's probably one of those things we're looking for just reliable hands back there. I mean, it, and what's interesting is is at kickoff return and punt return, they've kind of went default with veteran guys. Yep. And if you watch the punt return, kickoff return, a lot of freshmen, competition, ton of freshmen, you know, guys on the depth chart in other spots, Darian McNeil, Jalon Red, uh, Darian Felix, uh, Schooler. Schooler took David Davis. A lot, those guys took a ton of reps, and I, to, to have none of them on there, I'm a little surprised. Um, I think they're, like I said, I think they're kind of just figuring, let's put a couple of veterans back there to start. I'm also surprised that Charles Nelson is, is supposed to be doing double duties here. I know he's really good at that, but... Is it worth risking a guy who has 92 career receptions? When no one else, no has, one else any. has basically any. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your punt returners are, are Nelson as a starter and his backup is Dylan Mitchell. Thank you. Yeah, I guess we skipped that last part there. But yeah, it, it, it is it is interesting that Nelson's listed double duty there and that they've got Ken Ibenwak because I don't think either of us really think Ken Ibenwak is really a speedy guy, but if he's reliable back there, and uh, then maybe that works out. Overall, it's kind of what we expected um, after being able to go to every single football practice during fall camp, seeing what we saw, talking to who we talked to uh, on and off the record. Um, but there's still a lot of just it, – it still it feels like it's a very fluid depth chart. And there's still yeah. a lot of position battles, like you noted, a lot of oars listed. And I, I think in a month there will be, a you know, Half as many oars, yeah. And then in middle of October, I think we'll have a, a, a real strong sense of who are the main players and who are the guys that are going to come in when the game is over. Right, it, and it will be interesting to see how long he continues with the oar. I mean, just listing players as what you know, basically Plan A, Plan B. Is that something that carries over deep into the season? Is that just something he wants to continue to kind of dangle that little carrot of, of starting? over these players or or does he feel like he wants to really solidify this player is our starter and these players are our backup game week is here southern utah thunderbirds kick off against the ducks saturday 505 p.m uh pac-12 networks so if you don't have pac-12 networks 
you're kind of out of luck. You got to find a, a friend or go to a sports bar or, or go to the game or go to the game if you if you live nearby and you can get to the game. There are still tickets available. Last I checked, um, going into this week, you know, we starting today, we're going to take our starting Monday. Um, you, I don't know when you're going to listen to this podcast, but starting. Uh, Monday the 28th, we're kind of taking our first big deep dive over, you know, of this team. You went over the weekend and, and started doing a little bit of, yeah. of some stuff, but you don't want to go into just this encyclopedia book of Southern Utah because while the players and the coaches can't overlook Utah, Southern Utah, we can a little bit because let's be real, Oregon should blow this team out. Well, you say that, Matt, but I, I look through those numbers quite a bit. You can go on the site. I've got uh, a buy the numbers story, and and, uh, and that's up there if you want to if you really want to geek out over how good Southern Utah is or won't be. Um, my, I'll just give you like the the short Reader's Digest version here. I don't think they're very good. <laughs> um, Tiger Tiger today on Monday called them feisty. That's about all he would feisty say. Feisty and have a chip on their shoulder, which is kind of what you would say about a team you don't think is very good. Um, they were middle of the pack in the big sky last year. They did win more games than Oregon. They won six games. Oregon only won four last year, so there's, there's that. Um, the strangest stat I saw is that they were ranked second worst in the nation against the pass last year in the FCS level, but also second best in interceptions. That's true. So they they basically will get tor- torched down the field, but every now and then they're going to pick you off. So um, other than that, I, I think that they, they're probably going to be pretty balanced. Last year they ran five more run plays and pass plays, so that's about as even as you can get. I don't think this is a team that's going to challenge Oregon very much. I think if Oregon comes out with the right mentality, the right mindset, which I fully expect they will under Taggart because there's nothing that I've seen that leads me to believe he's going to let his guy slack. Right. I think they can win this game and have it over by the middle of the second quarter. We've we've been fielded this question today on Facebook Live when we left the press conference. We've we've fielded it on this on this podcast as well. Yeah. Um, throughout all of fall camp, constantly people are asking, Pac-12 championship in Oregon sites for 2017, um, or what's a fair expectation for Oregon in 2017? And I have changed and I have formed an opinion. I've gone back and forth on this. Um, I feel like sometimes in I, this team is going to have a struggle to get the six wins and get the bowl eligibility. It, it's going to be a huge accomplishment to get there. Other times I feel like if they don't get the six, it's a, it's a disappointment and six is the minimum that Oregon should win in 2017. So I think going into this season, I'm curious, to, Eric, to hear what you think uh, expectations are. Is This team needs to go to a bowl game. Yeah, They they have the talent offensively to win six, seven, eight, maybe even nine games uh, offensively. You know, Royce Freeman is one of the best running backs in the country, one of the best running backs ever in NCAA history. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert is a rising star. They've got a couple, you know, a couple NFL caliber offensive linemen up front. A couple more who could develop into into some over the course of this season and next. Tight end, I think they've got a stud starter. Some questions behind. Mm-hmm. Charles Nelson is a very good uh, slot receiver. They've got some questions around him at that position, but. They offensively should be good enough to win at least six or seven games every year this this season. If if they don't, 
I will say it comes down to two position groups, basically. It's the pass catchers, and I'm including wide receivers and tight ends. If that position, if those position groups, basically if Justin Herbert can't find anyone to throw the football to, right. that's a problem. Yes. You have fantastic offensive line, which I think is the best unit on the team, and you have a fantastic stable of running backs, which I would say is probably the second best unit on the team. You should be able to run the football. But if you're not able to at least challenge the other team throwing the ball, then they can put eight, nine, ten in the box and just, you know, won't let you, you're not going to be able to run the football effectively that way. It's just hard to do that with that math. They need to find some people to step up there. We think that somebody will, whether or not it's going to be on the level at those positions that has been, you know, in Oregon's heyday, I, I would say that's probably a lot to ask. And the other concern I have is that linebacker. I think the defensive line depth isn't great, but I think there's good talent there. And I think the secondary is going to surprise a lot of people. It's it's can those inside linebackers in particular step up, make the plays, get out of tough you know, make the plays on third down, make the plays on first down. Can they get out of tough situations? Can they force turnovers? Right. Those are the things that need to happen, and that's probably the difference between five wins and eight wins. I think this Oregon team is good enough where you can say, and these teams are bad enough that they're going to face Southern Utah, Cal, Arizona, Arizona State. That's four games right there that just on paper, Oregon is a superior team than those four teams. Those should be four automatic wins for Oregon in 2017. I might add a, a fifth there having watched Oregon State play over yeah, the weekend. Yeah, that's a very – I mean, I'm not going to throw them in just because it's the first game. We haven't seen how Oregon looks right. in 2017, uh, and it's a rivalry game. But I, I completely agree. If, if you know, if In two weeks, if, if we see Oregon against Southern Utah and then against Nebraska look – very good and, and win both those games convincingly. Absolutely, I would and throw Oregon, Oregon. Oregon State could lose to Portland, Portland State, State this weekend. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I would. I think that's going to be a competitive game too. And you know that could be the fifth game right there. And so you know, but you've got four games that I, I will pencil in as almost automatic wins. Very high probability, ninety percent or more, uh, that that Oregon walks away from those games and wins. And so then you you basically need to go two and four. Over your net, over your next six game, or yeah, let me see my math here. Math is, yeah, you need to go two, two and six. six. Yeah, you got yeah you, more you leeway. Need, yeah, you need to go two and six over your next eight games to get to bowl eligibility. That is certainly doable right. for Oregon. And so I look at not necessarily how many wins that they get, but more so of. How competitive is Oregon against Stanford? How competitive is Oregon against Washington, against UCLA, uh, against Utah? Those are the four games, in my mind, is what's going to define Washington if it's State. Washington, Washington State fifth. fifth. If, if, if they're competitive against those five teams, and it's not early fourth quarter, middle of fourth quarter, and they're blown out, and Oregon's having to send in their second and third string guys because they're losing, yeah. not the other way around, and it's a close game all the way until the end of the end of the game, then that can be defined as a, a successful season because that is what was clearly apparent to me last year was Oregon took a huge step back in terms of there were games going they in. They weren't competitive. You knew they were not going to be competitive, and yeah. you knew – that they weren't going to win that game no matter what happened. That has that is what needs to change for Oregon in 2017. Absolutely, and, and I know people that that Stanford game at home gave away their tickets because yeah. at that point in the season they knew they weren't winning that game, and quite frankly, you know, it would have been miserable to sit through that game hell with you know the way that started and the way that finished. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think I think there's upside here, and I, I think probably more so than any year. A wider range of expectations. I think they could conceivably go anywhere from four to eight wins. In previous years, I would have 
you know, you probably expected them to go anywhere from nine to twelve wins. So that's you know much smaller range. I think they could have a losing record, probably not as likely, but they could have a losing record and just as much as they might be able to win seven, eight games and go to a decent bowl game. I, I, I look at this, you know, wrap up our podcast here, um, going into Southern Utah. You also, it's, these are tough games to gauge because what is defined as a successful game for Oregon when they play an FCS opponent? Because right. if you win 70, if you win 56 to 10, well, that was expected. You should have done that. That, you know, that is the bar. Like anything less, you know, is a loss essentially, even though you win. You know, because if, if Oregon wins that one 42 to 27, you know, the talk is going to be, oh my gosh, what's wrong with Oregon? Not necessarily that they won by multiple scores. I think this team needs to come out and they need to look sound. You know, it can't be sloppy and it needs to be, the game needs to be over by halftime for me to walk away and say, that is what should have happened. That is, you know, that was a successful game for Oregon to start the 2017 season and to start the Willie Taggart era. If they're in the third quarter and, and it's the middle of the third and Royce Freeman and Justin Herbert and crew are out there still having to put this game away, it's not a, it's not a, you know, oh my gosh, put it on, put Oregon on red alert, but it, it's some caution flags because we learned last year. Last two years, yeah. basically. Last two years, you, they played FCS opponents and those games were not finished by the second half. Those games were, where they had a lot of starters playing seemingly meaningful minutes just to ensure they didn't get embarrassed at home against teams not even on their, you know, not even the same level, basically. You can't have that this weekend, especially in Willie Taggart's first game. Um, and then we turn to Nebraska, and, you know, the whole thing, kind of the expectations totally shift. But we'll, we'll get to that, obviously, next week. That's going to do it for us here on the DuckTerritory.com podcast. Uh, if you want to be able to be engaged on Facebook Live while we do these, go to uh, Facebook.com forward slash Oregon 247. That'll get you, and like the page if you're not, um, that'll get you notifications for when we do go live and do these. We typically do them Mondays, uh, typically around noon, uh, and then we'll also do them post-game, and who knows, we might do one, you know, every once in a while ahead of big games as well once fall camp wraps up, but the plan is currently every Monday and then after every football game, uh, we'll do a podcast as well. So, until we do another one, uh, thanks for listening. You can go to Oregon.247sports.com for all your team coverage. We'll have everything leading up to Southern Utah up on the site uh, throughout this week. Fall camp is officially over. Game week has officially begun. And as Willie Taggart started uh, his Monday press conference, Willie Taggart, what you got? That's, <laughs> that's what he started that's with. Question. And that's the question that we answer in 2017. Uh, what do you got, Willie Taggart? So until we, we find out on Monday, on Saturday against Southern Utah, we'll be back soon. Thanks.